Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's role and influence in the World Health Organization. Established in 1948, the WHO is a UN-affiliated international organization whose core function is to direct and coordinate health work around the world. It partners with governments, international uh, agencies, research institutions, and civil society to drive global health policy and lead international health initiatives. The WHO is governed by the World Health Assembly, where delegates from 194 member states vote on policy and elect the organization's director general. Since its creation, the WHO has had some major successes, such as its efforts to eradicate smallpox and polio, but it's also faced criticism, for example, its response to the 2014 Ebola outbreak in West Africa. So the People's Republic of China uh, became a sitting member of the WHO when it replaced uh, the Republic of China in the United Nations in 1971. To discuss China's actions in the World Health Organization since becoming a member and its role in addressing health crises such as the current COVID-19 pandemic, I'm joined today by Dr. Jeremy Yude. Dr. Yude is Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Minnesota Duluth. He's a member of the editorial board of Global Health Governance and chair of the Global Health Section of the International Studies Association. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, in recent years, China's role in the UN overall, of course, has increased, but particularly in the World Health Organization. As a result of COVID-19, there's been a lot of attention to the issue of Chinese influence in the World Health Organization. So can you start by explaining China's role in the WHO and, and what are China's objectives and how does Beijing exert influence over WHO decision making? Sure, sure. So China has definitely come into a greater role of responsibility, or at least trying to take on more of a leadership role within the World Health Organization. And there is actually a specific cooperation strategy that exists between the People's Republic of China and the World Health Organization. And in particular, it's focused around the fact that the Chinese government sees itself as representing an upper middle income country that wants to focus on a more equitable distribution of wealth and sees health as being central to a lot of those efforts. And they also have folded health into a lot of their other diplomatic efforts, particularly the efforts that we've seen in sub-Saharan Africa. There's been a real push on health diplomacy. And so in some ways, this kind of feeds into those same sorts of elements. But in particular, they have been interested in questions, some of the, the questions around the larger political and economic changes that we've seen in the world over the past 20, 30 years, and how those might have an effect on health or have been affected by health. So issues like rapid urbanization, um, an aging population, increases in non-communicable diseases, antimicrobial resistance, the quality of and access to healthcare services, 
you know, how we can strengthen health systems more broadly, and also looking at the regulatory capacities that exist both within China, but also internationally for the licensing and manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, medical technologies, and these sorts of issues. So in a lot of respects, we're seeing China's moving from being a net recipient of aid when it comes to, to global health to trying to be more of a contributor to that and trying to help steer the general direction of the global health governance system and has engaged through the World Health Organization as one of the tools for doing that. So are there examples of actions that the WHO has taken that have really been carried out largely for China's benefit or even specifically at China's request? Sure. So China has a seat on the WHO executive board. So that gives it a bit of additional clout in helping to shape the organization's agenda and identify some of its priorities. But China in recent years has had particular concerns around influenza and the possibility of pandemic influenza. And so looking at some of the monitoring and surveillance sorts of capabilities that exist around that disease in particular, that's been an area that the Chinese government has been focused on. They've also paid some attention to the implementation of the international health regulations, which is this international agreement that helps to establish the responsibilities that governments have around the world around disease surveillance and the reporting of disease outbreaks to the World Health Organization. And so they've been working with WHO and working with other countries about how they can actually implement those sorts of, of surveillance systems. So we do see some elements there, but then also you know, in terms of the relationship that Taiwan has with the World Health Organization, a lot of that is coming from the influence of the, the Chinese government and how the, the Chinese government sees, sees its relationship to Taiwan and how Taiwan's engagement with the World Health Organization may have other sorts of geopolitical effects. And so that's, a, an, again, an area where that relationship between China and the WHO has played a pretty special specific route for the, the politics of the organization. Could you talk a little bit about China's funding levels to the World Health Organization and, and how those have changed? I understand there's a distinction between government funding and, and voluntary funding. And then does the level of funding provide a country with more leverage or influence in the WHO, or is there no correlation? Sure. Those are excellent questions. And the funding structures for the World Health Organization do place it in a really unique position. So just to look broadly at the WHO, the vast majority of its budget comes from voluntary contributions. About 80% of its budget comes from these voluntary contributions. And those are usually given by countries or non-governmental organizations for specific purposes. Country X will give you know, $5 million because they want that specifically to go to polio eradication programs, or they'll give a certain amount for this specific program. So that's about 80% of the organization's budget. The other 20% is coming from these assessed dues, so the membership dues, if you will. And those membership dues are based on a formula that the WHO has that look at the size of the economy, the population, and a few other factors to kind of bring all of this together. So within uh, WHO and looking at China in particular, we do see a gradual increase over time in terms of the amount of money that China is contributing to the WHO, but still not a major contributor. So for the 2018-2019 biennium, because they do two-year budget cycles, overall, WHO's budget was about $5.5 billion. And for China, they gave uh, just shy of $86 million. $76 million of that was in assessed contributions, and $10 million of that was in voluntary contributions. But 
in terms of the overall amount, that's less than 1% of the organization's overall budget. So China's clout doesn't necessarily come from its financial standing with the organization. Now, that's not to say that finances don't play a role in who gets to, to exert leverage. So the United States is the largest contributor to the World Health Organization. And that gives it a certain degree of clout because within the World Health Assembly, which is like the legislature of global health, you know, each country has one vote, just like we see in the United Nations General Assembly. But because the United States gives so much money, it has a bit of an extra push. When it wants to go a particular direction, other countries might be a bit more willing to go along with that. So with China, because their finances aren't at a huge level within the WHO overall, its clout is less about the finances and more about the fact that we're talking about more than a billion people. And is it better to have China on the inside of the global health governance system, or do they want to be excluded? And I think one of the things that we've seen both in the COVID-19 case but also in global health governance more broadly over the past 15, 20 years, is that there's a real interest from the World Health Organization to have China on the inside, to have it contributing to how these structures are set in place and, and trying to figure out how to incorporate Chinese government um, into these sorts of structures. Turning to the COVID-19 outbreak, there have been conflicting reports about how effectively China has collaborated with the WHO during the pandemic, particularly criticism of China in the early phases. Some people say, of course, the Chinese authorities have withheld information. Maybe they've manipulated data. Others, including the World Health Organization Director General, have have praised China's response. So what is your assessment of how China has coordinated with the WHO during this crisis? Yeah, this is a really important question, especially given some of the reports that we saw coming out on April 1st from a report from Bloomberg News that U.S. intelligence agencies were saying that China was undercounting and not reporting all the cases that they were finding and criticizing China for then potentially setting other countries at risk because a lot of countries were modeling their policy responses on these initial Chinese data. Looking at the relationship with WHO overall, though, it's kind of a mixed record. And again, this kind of speaks to this odd in-between position that an organization like WHO has. Because, you know, like you said, we have seen initially a fairly tardy response by Chinese officials and and a reluctance to share some of this information with the World Health Organization. Under this agreement I mentioned before, the international health regulations, when you have a brand new disease like this, this should be reported to the WHO. And they will make this decision about whether this constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. And that really raises the red flag when the WHO does that. So this initial tardy response has come under some criticism from a lot of officials just because it set back the ability of the international community to put a a more robust response in place quicker. There have also been questions about human rights and about whether or not the sorts of policies that the Chinese government has implemented in an attempt to try to address this outbreak if they violate human rights or how they, they play out with some of the expectations that we see in other states about the ability of people to move freely and whether or not they are under surveillance and, and these sorts of issues. But I think that the praise that Ted the director general of the World Health Organization gave for China, speak to this question I mentioned before about do we want to have China on the inside or on the outside? When we saw the response to the SARS outbreak, there was a lot of hesitancy by the Chinese government to share information, denying that there was anything that was going wrong and trying to block WHO officials from getting involved in this sort of process. And the World Health Organization called China out. They publicly said, you know, they publicly chastised the, the Chinese government for this response. 
And I think what the World Health Organization was trying to balance out this time was how are we going to get China to be more willing to be cooperative with us so that we can get these data that we need in order to affect a good response? And the decision, the, the calculus that they made was it's going to be better to praise them, to talk about them in positive terms, to bring them on the inside as opposed to trying to call them out, as opposed to calling to trying to name and shame them for, for their activities. And I think the fear was that if they did that, that China would just withdraw completely. And that would open up greater vulnerabilities, not only for people in China, but also for the rest of the world. So Tedros was trying to do what World Health Organization has to do in a lot of these sorts of circumstances is try to balance the, the public health imperatives with the political and the economic imperatives and try to figure out how do we navigate these different realms that obviously have to intersect if we're going to have a good response and have one that can be cooperative and collaborative among the member states. So as this outbreak took off, rapidly began spreading in uh, January, there were growing concerns about even then about the possibility of human-to-human transition. And yet on January 14th, the WHO released a statement that saying that there had been no human-to-human transmission of this novel coronavirus. And at the time, they cited Chinese health officials. And we came to find out later that there had been contact between health authorities in Taiwan with health authorities in mainland China. And those in Taiwan had apparently notified the WHO that human transmission had occurred. But of course, Taiwan is not a member. It is no longer even an observer at the WHO. And so that message was not sent to all of WHO's members. So why do you think that WHO ignored Taiwan's warning? Taiwan's ability to engage with the World Health Organization is largely dependent upon the People's Republic of China. In recent years, we have seen Taiwan have a observer status at the World Health Assembly. So not in the organization writ large, but at this annual gathering that takes place every May in Geneva, where the member states come together to set the policy to talk about the, the strategic priorities for the organization. But it was under the condition that the that Taiwan be seated as Chinese Taipei and was very much framed in the sense of like, we are allowing you to do this. This is not a sense that that we are in any way, shape or form giving you independent sort of membership in this. This is not something that should be a stepping stone for Taiwan to have independent membership in the World Health Organization or in other parts of, of the UN system. And so that relationship between Taiwan and the WHO really is mediated by China in this instance. And so I think that's really what is at the the core of why there was this ignoring of the the earlier information that was coming out from Taiwan, that Chinese officials, and I don't know if this is by omission or commission, but but Chinese officials were able to to help mediate some of that and kept it from either getting to the right people within WHO that could have used that information and could have broadcast it, or they wanted to prevent the information from getting out because we saw that you know, we had seen the sorts of strategies, the sorts of responses that the Taiwanese government was putting into place had been fairly successful. So, you know, Taiwan has this odd sort of relationship where it's kind of at arm's length. They do have some relationships with the World Health Organization, but it's, it's kind of a, a back channel approach or it's kind of on a secondary level. And so it, even if there is information that, that is being fed up through the system, it's harder for that information to get to the, the policymakers, to the decision makers, to the ones who are actually going to implement these sorts of, of decisions because it has to go through these additional steps. They don't have that same sort of immediacy that Chinese officials would have or American officials would have or, or officials of any other country that is a member of the World Health Organization. 
In 2009, when Taiwan did become an observer in the World Health Organization, and essentially, of course, this was done when Margaret Chan was the director general and uh, Beijing was really pulling the strings and, and there was a secret MOU that was signed that, as I understand, still remains in place today, which means that the WHO consults with Beijing before even allowing uh, an invitation to go out to Taiwan's health authorities to participate in technical meetings. And every time that we have a health crisis, in the case of SARS in 2003, and now today in the case of COVID-19, um, it just really underscores the fact that diseases don't recognize borders. And there are 23 million people that, that live in Taiwan who should not be excluded from uh, this very important UN uh, organization. I wonder if you think that anything can be done to promote Taiwan's participation, whether as an observer or, you know, in other capacities to prevent China from having so much control over even the issuance of an invitation to Taiwan to attend a, a technical meeting. Is this a moment where the international community can be galvanized or is that just not possible? I really like the point that you made about viruses not respecting borders. They don't know about geography. They don't really care about it in the same way they don't care about our timelines or our economies or things like that. That is why it is so important to think about these sorts of global public health issues. Because when we have a black box, when we have an, an area where we don't have information that, that we can easily access or that we can get people in and out of on an easy basis, that opens up the possibility for the continued spread. We can think about global public health as, a, you know, it's, a, it's essentially a public good, but it's a weakest link public good in the sense that it's only as strong as the weakest link within the chain. So if there's information that we're not able to get from Taiwan because China has this mediating role for its ability to, to feed up into the World Health Organization, that does raise additional risks. Now, the WHO does have control over how it wants to structure itself. Its members can make those decisions about if they want to extend membership to Taiwan or you know, who can have a seat within the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization most of its members are member states of the United Nations, but they also extend membership to non-sovereign states that have control over their, their health authorities. So you have places like the Cook Islands and, and a few other places that are members of the WHO, even though they aren't actually members of the United Nations. So Taiwan could fit within that. The question is, and I think this is, is where the, the real controversy is, is whether they want to take on that those sorts of geopolitics within the World Health Organization. Uh, because this would, this would get back to that big question of would China be on the inside or on the outside? Would they still want to participate in these sorts of global health governance systems if they saw that their geopolitical standing was being challenged by having the having Taiwan have a seat within the World Health Organization and then whether that might be used as a springboard for membership in additional international organizations. So there, there's definitely the possibility for doing something like that. Um, I don't see the, the WHO really going in for, for that at this moment just because they're in the midst of trying to deal with all these other sorts of things. But I do see that there could be a possibility for 
some quiet global health diplomacy taking place, particularly among some of those traditional middle power type states within the international system. Those states that are seen as kind of the good international citizens that are focused on being a bit more collaborative and aren't seen as being so much on one side or the other. So your traditional middle powers, your Canada's, your Australia's, your Scandinavian states, these sorts of places. I could see a, a possibility there where those states try to engage China and try to you know explain the importance and the value in having Taiwan have some sort sort of perhaps increased status, even if it's short of having official observer status, some other sort of relationship with the WHO, that could be a possibility. But again, you're going to need to have someone exerting the political leadership. You know, I don't think at this, just given the, the, the relationships between the US and China and the relationship between the US and the WHO, for that matter, I don't think the US is well-placed to engage in that sort of diplomacy. I don't think a lot of the, the really leading economies are, but maybe perhaps some of these middle powers might have the ability to help um, persuade some other sort of relationships so that we don't have this information filtering through all these additional channels in order to get to the World Health Organization officials. So if we look at, you know, this current COVID-19 outbreak, what kind of lessons do you think that China should draw about how it collaborates with the WHO to ensure, you know, that this works more smoothly again? Should we have another pandemic? And are there other lessons for the WHO overall that should be drawn? Should they make any changes in their operations so that they can be more effective in the future? Yeah, I think that there are going to be some opportunities for learning from this. So once we actually get through the current pandemic, it's definitely going to be important for WHO and for all the various elements of global health governance to really reflect on how we can try to prepare for this sort of possibility in the future. Because we know that there will be future pandemics. We don't know when they will happen. We don't know where they will start. And we don't know if it will be something that we've seen before or if it will be a brand new disease like the like COVID-19. So there will be these opportunities for learning. The question is whether or not the World Health Organization is going to be willing to learn those lessons and implement those sorts of changes. There were a lot of reports that came out in the aftermath of the Ebola crisis and criticizing how the WHO responded to that. And we saw some movement on some of those reform efforts, but not a ton. With this in particular, and particularly thinking about the, the Chinese government's relationship to the World Health Organization, I'm really curious to see what if anything goes into some of these back channel sorts of, of discussions and thinking about the sorts of laboratory capabilities and capacities that might exist because one of the key issues for any sort of pandemic response is making sure you've got strong surveillance capabilities. And this is an area where, where I think we could potentially see China playing a, a much bigger role within global health governance is given its technological savvy, given its manufacturing capabilities, and given its information technology resources, could it provide additional resources Sources, not just to itself, but to other countries as well, for trying to monitor when disease outbreaks are taking place and being able to feed some of that information up to, to the World Health Organization. With the, the international health regulations, while they mandate that countries have these surveillance capabilities, they didn't provide any funding for governments to actually implement those. So this could be a place where, where China steps in and provides some additional resources, and that could give it a bit of a leadership role within global health governance and perhaps within global governance more broadly. How they're going to relate to the World Health Organization going forward, I think a lot is actually going to depend on how the World Health Assembly this coming May goes and how the, those conversations take place. Are there going to be strong pushes for Taiwan to be seated again? The Chinese government.
government has, has said that they aren't on board with that. Are there going to be other countries that are going to be pushing back against that? Are there going to be efforts to try to chastise or criticize the Chinese response to COVID-19 as part of the resolutions that get passed at the World Health Assembly? I think that's going to play a big role in how or whether really China is going to want to engage with the World Health Organization moving forward. So one final question. I wonder whether you think that the acrimonious relationship between the U.S. and China in this current time has hampered the ability of the WHO to work effectively in combating the COVID-19 pandemic? Or has the WHO essentially been able to do what it needs to do, despite the fact that the United States and China are engaged in this blame game over where the virus originated? It's interesting because China and the WHO have a bit of an acrimonious relationship right now. The United States and the WHO also have a bit of an acrimonious relationship right now. And then you've got the, the acrimony that exists between the US and China at the same time. So in some respects, you've got this weird kind of triangle of, of acrimony going on here. So I don't know that the, the relationship between the US and China has had a direct effect on the WHO's ability to do its job right now. That said, I think there is still a bit of a perception within China and a number of other countries that the World Health Organization is largely beholden to the United States and to some of the Western powers just because of the funding structures and because of the degree of influence that they are able to exert within that organization. And so I don't know that it's so much about the specifics of what's been going on over the past few years between the two governments and more the sort of broad worldview within global health governance or global governance writ large about the role of China and its ability to have any sort of influence on these systems, as opposed to having to accept the systems that have been set up largely by Western powers, and whether the, the Chinese government is willing to accede to those sort of systems. And I think, especially in the, the health space, China is still trying to figure out exactly how they want to engage with the global health governance system, and what is going to be most beneficial for them. Is it working through the WHO and trying to have influence on these sorts of intergovernmental organizations? Or is it focusing more on some of these bilateral relationships, some of these health diplomacy uh, relationships that they've built up in sub-Saharan Africa and increasingly in other countries as well, providing medical supplies, medical personnel, and trying to, to strengthen health systems. We've been talking with Dr. Jeremy Yude, uh, who is Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Minnesota, Duluth. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a pleasure. <music> 